0: back to the proper mental podcast and before we get into episode 74 with josh connolly i want to tell you about an award that i've been nominated for so i've been nominated in the best podcaster category at the mental health blog awards and the ceremony is taking place on the 16th of july but before then i really need you to vote for me So these awards, they happen every year, and it's just a way of celebrating the effort and the energy that are put into raising awareness and signposting around mental health. And it's all sorts of advocates and bloggers and influencers and podcasters, and there's all these different categories. Voting is open now. It's open till the 3rd of June. And the votes now narrow down the nominations to like a top three, I think. Then the top three go through to the event, and the voting's done on the day for who's going to win in each category. And to be quite honest with you, there's some really cool podcasts also nominated in the same category as me. Some of them are quite big. Some of them have got really big followings. So I'm not really expecting too much, but it would be awesome if I could make the final. The award ceremony itself is really sick. There's all different like speakers and people getting involved doing different things. It's all done online. So it's a really lovely thing. But if you could do me a solid and give me your vote, I've put a link in these episode notes. All you got to do is give it a click. It's so quick. Only takes a couple of minutes. I really, really would appreciate it. And now that the shameless self-promotion is out of the way, let's get into Proper Mental episode 74 with Josh Connolly, who is was a resilience coach, a breathwork facilitator, and one of the UK's most influential mental health advocates. Josh grew up in a traumatic environment, and because of that he struggled with alcohol addiction from a very young age. But it was only once he gave up drinking that he really started to struggle with his mental health to the point that he started to plan to take his own life. And it was a chance moment with his children that turned him around and he started to rebuild from there. And that took him on a journey of healing and transformation and he now passes his learnings on to other people through coaching and speaking and training. He's regularly on the BBC, ITV and Channel 5 News. He runs workshops all over the country. He's spoken at the House of Commons, he's contributed to mental health policy and he's even advised the script writing team on Hollyoaks. And I found out about Josh for his social media and I would definitely give him a follow at Josh underscore FFW. Josh's social media is fantastic. He has a way of getting these thoughts that I'm sure so many of us have thought and putting them in ways that really hit home. And quite often when I see Josh's posts, I have to kind of put my phone down and, and digest them a little bit because they're really, really powerful. Sometimes I just scroll straight past them because I think, do you know what? Now is not the time for a bit of Josh Connolly wisdom. I need to crack on this morning. I can't be going down that rabbit hole. But yeah, they're really powerful stuff. And it was one of his posts in particular about breath work that inspired me to reach out and get in touch with him. And I'm so glad that I did. He's incredible to speak to. We talk all about getting sober We talk about the good bits about drinking and the bad bits about giving up drink. We talk about breath work. We talk about men and mental health and feeling our feelings. We talk about the true meaning of resilience, dealing with emotions, all this stuff that just goes on in life that can get in the way of us just living our best life, you know, and all these things that really affect our mental health when we don't deal with them. Yeah, and it's brilliant and it's very empowering and it's very inspiring and I can't wait for you to hear it. I've put all the links to Josh's stuff in the episode notes. His website is joshconnelly.co.uk. And like I said before, I highly recommend you giving him a follow at Josh underscore FFW. As usual, everything you need from me is at propermentalpodcast.com. You can drop me an email through the website or at propermentalpodcast on Instagram. It's probably the best way to get hold of me. Don't worry about leaving me a review this week. Go to the episode notes, find the link to that vote help me win an award. Other than that, I've got nothing left to tell you this week. So this is episode 74 of the Proper Mental Podcast with Josh Connolly. Thank you very much for listening. Enjoy. Um, so yeah I'll just do a little intro and we'll go for it mate. Um, welcome to another episode of the Proper Mental Podcast and my guest this week is Josh Connolly. How are you mate? Um, good, good Tom. Uh, looking forward to the conversation. Yeah very much so, very much so. Thank you, for, uh, thank you for joining me. I suppose the best place to start Josh is with what you do because I kind of feel like you inhabit quite a unique space in the, in the mental health conversation. So how do you describe your work?
1: It's uh, to be. I call myself a resilience coach, um, but to be honest with you, I feel like even that as a tag is sort of a little bit dated in terms of of what I do. I always people ask me what I do, and I think I don't. I don't know how long have you got because I do so <laughs> many different things. Uh, but essentially, I you know, if I if I break it right down, what I try to do is help people to understand themselves a little bit better. Um, my idea of resilience has always been that um it's not about keep moving forward all of the time actually it's much more about self-awareness and finding ways to make sure that I get my needs met and I guess everything that I do is kind of born out of that and born out of a desire to be curious as to why we show up in the way that we do why we feel the things that we do and and why we struggle with the things that we do and I think yeah i guess I, I i approach things slightly differently to, to to a lot of people um which is always interesting i guess
0: <laughs> yeah very much so i think that when it comes to mental health like everyone needs different things at different times as well what you need at one point in your journey is very different to what you might need again and again and again so to have all these different options you know is just um it's really powerful because at, at some point people need something something different sometimes right
1: yeah, and I like I I think that's actually really important, and I think sometimes <clears throat> we forget that if somebody is promoting one way of uh, doing something, it's not an attack on the way that you're doing it. If the way that you're doing it's different, and if you look at like the fitness industry, right? If 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 I said to you I want to get fit, there, there's there's no one answer that you can give me. There's a million and one different things for me to go out and try, and I think the more that we can introduce into this space the better right because then people have got more chance to find what might work for them and what works for me has changed dramatically and actually changes quite dramatically fairly regularly if I'm honest with you that's why I don't get too hung up on the right way of doing things because there's so many ways and that's the fun of it really
0: yeah definitely I suppose often you find out along the journey you know that you you plan or think that one thing's going to happen and this is what I'm working towards and then along the way that's sometimes when the magic happens right yeah rather than focusing on the end result just kind of being along for the ride trust the process and all that sort of stuff
1: yeah yeah and you know like every time that I think I've had it all figured out it's normally followed by a crash right I'm like this is it as long as I do this every day everything's going to be fine and I'm never going to feel anything difficult again and then boom I crash and then you know, I either reevaluate what's right for me or I have to readjust and go back to the things that have always been right for me. So it's always different. And I think, like you say, it's the process, which is the the joy in the end.
0: Yeah. And I I always think like, you know, we're supposed to change, we're supposed to evolve. And sometimes even if you look backwards, if you look, you know, maybe like I'll look at the last year of my life and I'll look at what I was doing this time next year. And I think, God, that's an incredible amount of change. You know, Mm. I wasn't doing this, I wasn't doing that. I was still doing that. And just, but as things are changing in the moment we don't realize how much as humans that we do change we do pick up different habits we do pick up different ideas explore different things in a short period of time you know and sometimes that even that change can be unsettling as well you know i think that's something else we have to take into account when we're thinking about how we're how we're feeling and how we're viewing the world
1: yeah and you know one of the like mantras that i try and live by and i don't try and live by too many mantras if i'm honest with you because i think they'll always change as well right but one of the ones that's really has stuck with me is trying to wake up every day with the recognition that I could be wrong about everything that I've ever believed. Because I think the times when I've often been in a lot of pain and a lot of struggle in my life, and normally when I'm trying to hold on to something that's no longer serving me, that might have once served me in my life, but isn't anymore, and I'm holding on for dear life when actually what I really need to do is is let go.
0: Yeah, yeah, I get that completely. Yeah, I kind mm. of feel sometimes like, sometimes life just feels like extra hard. Mm. And it's almost like you're just trying to force something that just doesn't want to be forced anymore. It just doesn't yeah. work. And sometimes everything you, all those signals are there the whole time. But um, yeah, like you say, I suppose it's about looking inwards and slowing down to realise like what's what's going on and it's really interesting you mentioned the word resilience there as well because i think that's a word that i think sometimes we use the word resilience for the lack of a better word for what we're trying to say Mm. and it is massively massively misunderstood doesn't it so i talked then about like fighting against something that isn't working and sometimes we mistake that for resilience You know, that ability, that whole, it's very popular at the moment, isn't it? All the gogging stuff of like, no one cares, work harder, just keep pushing, all that sort of stuff. And um, there is an element to that, of course, that sometimes we need in our life. But that's not what you mean when you talk about resilience, right?
1: No. And one of the things that I say is that if you look at the the Oxford English Dictionary definition of resilience, it says the capacity to recover quickly. And then it says uh, the capacity to recover quickly from difficulties. Mm -hmm. And then it uses this word toughness. Now, I actually think that toughness is important, right? In a a kind of, you know, David Goggins is a great example of the extreme version of toughness, right? We need a bit of that. I think in life sometimes, yeah, like I do need to grit my teeth and get through it at the expense of myself sometimes, right? But I don't want to just be doing that because if I do that, then there is a breaking point and the breaking point will come. And actually, sometimes... My plan, and probably more often than not, my plan needs to be what's going on here? Do I need to take my foot off the gas? Do I need to, like we've just discussed, let go of something? Am I fighting and battling against something when actually what I need to do is let go of something? Right. And I think finding the self awareness to know when I need to grit my teeth and get through something, and I can do that with awareness. And also knowing when the time now is for me to stop gritting my teeth and actually come back to myself and take time off. um, I think when we have enough self-awareness to be able to do that, that's what I'm trying to get people to reflect on when they think of resilience, yeah.
0: Yeah, awesome. Not, I suppose like used a, a fitness analogy before. And I suppose it's very the same, right? So you do the hard work in the gym. And sometimes you might not want to. But it's actually when you're recovering from your training session that all the magic happens. That's when you reap the benefits from the work that you put in in the gym. And I suppose it's the same, isn't it? It's knowing when to grit your teeth and then, and then afterwards to kind of balance the books almost, so to speak.
1: Yeah, and exactly. And, you know, sticking on that same analogy, it's also about knowing when I'm injured and I need to stop because in the long haul, this is not going to be good for me to fight through this injury. Right. Or, and when I'm maybe just in my tired zone and I need to push through because there's 10 minutes to go. Right. Um, and I think the same is true when we look at ourselves emotionally. I always use actually sticking on the sporting analogies. I always use the analogy of uh, Anthony Joshua, you know, the boxer Mm. in his, when he fought against Klitschko um, at the time, Anthony Joshua was the big heavyweight who'd been knocking everybody out. And Klitschko was the kind of the old guard. He'd only been beat by fury, but he was still known as, you know, the best of his era. And for people that know about boxing, what's remembered from that fight is in the 11th round, Anthony Joshua, the big heavyweight who'd always come forward did what he'd always done up to that point and he knocked Klitschko out and there's a famous picture of Anthony Joshua uppercutting Klitschko I don't know if you know much about mm. boxing but famous picture it looks like Klitschko's head's coming off of his body because yeah, he's been punched yeah. so hard Um, and everybody remembers that from the fight yeah and that was like a big defining moment at the time I know things have gone on to change a little bit since then but what people forget is that in the seventh round Klitschko knocked Anthony Joshua down and for two rounds Anthony Joshua ran away from Klitschko. He ducked, he weaved, he barely threw a punch and he just made sure that Klitschko didn't hit him because if he'd caught him once more, it would have been game over for AJ. And people forget it was the eighth and the ninth round where Anthony Joshua took, took rounds off. In boxing, you call it taking a round off. He took two rounds off. That for me is the true act of resilience because the uppercut doesn't happen in the 10th or the 11th, whenever it was, if Anthony Joshua doesn't run away and take time out. Yeah. And actually, yeah, you, yeah. you could argue that he went on to have subsequent fights in the future where he felt like the, the level of opponent was too good for him to take a round off. And he didn't. And he ended up losing the fight. So um, I think the same is is true emotionally. We need to know when to take a round off.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. And I suppose modern life is kind of programmed to kind of get in the way of the of the knowing part of that sentence right so it's really really easy to um to get hung up whether it's like work or family stuff you know the big stuff or even if it's the small stuff like social media and netflix and you know sometimes even when we think we're taking a round off maybe we're not because we're still kind of you know we're still on in other ways maybe
1: yeah and it, it, it and again that comes back to awareness you know so if i'm if i'm saying to myself I'm going to take a night off and watch. I'm going to just watch Netflix like I'm really struggling internally with everything that's going on emotionally. I'm going to switch off for that. I'm going to get a tub of ice cream and I'm going to binge watch something on Netflix. Right. And then I'm going to come back to this tomorrow and maybe try and focus on making some change in my life. Right. That's one way of using escapism that you could see is is, is quite a good way. Right. It's quite useful. If I'm thinking I'm just going to binge watch Netflix. No, I'm fine. Everything's fine. There's nothing wrong with me. I just love ice cream and Netflix, right? And I'm doing that every single night. And you can see that that there's a huge difference there. And the difference is the the level of awareness. So sometimes we, like escapism, sometimes Netflix and ice cream is exactly what I need, yeah? But sometimes Netflix and ice cream is exactly what I shouldn't be doing. But the, the difference between the two is awareness.
0: And knowing what you need in that moment for the right reasons yeah Yeah. oh mate yeah so what was your um what was your route into this this line of work then Josh how did you get to where you are now
1: so like all my life really um I had a problem with alcohol so I found alcohol when I was like maybe 12 or 13 years old and the reality is, is that alcohol really worked for me yeah like changed my life really I when I when I reflect on my teenage years I remember them getting good when I found alcohol once I got like in, into my adulthood, my, my, my first daughter was born when I was 18, um, which was, you know, really young to be having children. Then the consequences really became much stronger as a result of my drinking. And then it became hugely problematic. And I was 24 years old when I when I made the decision to stop drinking. Um, but what I found when I stopped drinking is that I was left with myself. And that was really difficult for me to deal with. Like, I you know, I, I really struggled emotionally. Um, And actually, I reached a real low point when I'd stopped drinking. I was about nine months sober uh, and I just felt like I couldn't go on anymore. Um, And I was very lucky that I had an experience with my children that kind of changed everything. And then in the 10 years that have followed that experience, I've actively been trying to work on myself. Why do I feel this way? What do I struggle with? And I've had lots of kind of learnings over those 10 years. Um, And it was maybe like seven years ago that I started kind of sharing that journey online I mean previous to that I'd never really had any social media or anything like that and so I started sharing things online and recognized there was you know some value in what I was doing and then five years ago um, I was able to leave my job and and do this kind of thing full-time and just share my learnings full-time really which is like a dream come true for
0: me yeah, sure. You mentioned that um, that turning point there where you're able to rebuild. And one thing that was really, really interesting to me is is kind of what happens just after that moment. So we tend in the mental health, mental illness conversation. We like we talk about what happened and that's important. That needs to be relatable. And we talk about recovery. And then it, but it's almost we never kind of break that down. You know, so you have this you have this moment and then you went on to make Um, big changes but what was that process like for you Josh you know was it did you was it therapy was it reading was it exploring how did you because it's a lot to ask I think to sometimes it's very easy because we talk in these terms about emotions and about feelings because we're used to talking them but if someone's listening and they're like well that sounds like what I need but where where do I start it's such a big conversation isn't it so what for you was it what was how did you even like start walking that path?
1: Like, for me, originally, I went to 12-step fellowships as a way of stop drinking. Um, And I think the biggest benefit that I found in that, for me, and it remains the same for me today, actually, is group work. Um, Is being around groups of people who make me feel safe enough to explore what I'm struggling with. Um, That was game-changing for me and remains game-changing for me. I actually think when I'm really, really struggling, the starting point for me is always... I need to come clean and I need to come clean in a group of people that make me feel safer and are going to help me lead myself back to what I need in my life. And that's very important for me, um, is that empowerment piece, which is, I believe that most people at their core know what they need in any given moment emotionally. They just need people to metaphorically hold their hands so that they can get there. And for me, group work, um, is, is of huge importance, huge, huge importance. And for me today, group work looks very similar. I, I do I do some stuff in the men's space. So for me, it needed to be men. Um, that's just a personal preference, but groups of men. And I have men in my life now today that weekly I create space with. On a Monday, for example, I have a number of men that I voice note and that voice note me reflecting on how we're feeling, what's coming up. Is there anything that we need to share? Um, and that happens every week without fail on Monday. Um, and then regular meetings in those spaces, too. So just to bring it back to your original question, for me, if, if, if it was if I was if anybody was asking me, where do I start? I would say find a group, find a community, find some kind of tribe and start practicing um, sharing your truth.
0: Yeah, I think that, you know, with the men's health, um, men's mental health, sorry, conversation, and it's so focused focused on talking, and I've said this on this podcast so many times, I don't think men are as bad at talking as we make out. I think the vast majority of men don't know how, and they don't know where, you Mm. know, with uh, the modern environment, it tends to, it's all around, you know, pints and pubs and all these like quite macho environments where it's not applicable to turn around to someone and say, I've got this on my mind or I'm not feeling too good. But if we can create different types of space, then quite often people just fall into it, right?
1: Yeah, look, I'm with you 100% on what you've just said. I think it's a myth that men don't talk. I say go into a pub, right? You'll see men, loads of men talking all the time. You can't shut them up, if I'm honest with you, right? So they do talk, right? It's just not necessarily about the things that we think it might be. Um, and, and the other myth is that men don't do emotions. And again, like a bit of a generalizing statement here, but go to a football match, you'll see thousands and thousands of men doing emotions all the time. So they do do emotions, and they do talk, right? What 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 we lack is the spaces that are available to do them things. And um, I hold something called Uncommon Man once a month, the first Tuesday of every month in London. Uh, we pull a group of men together. Anyone that identifies as a man is is welcome along. And I can tell you that. Every single man that comes there, straight away opens up very, very quickly because you've created the space. And and, and, and and they're yearning for it and they're ready to do it. What we lack is spaces. What we lack is people available to listen. We don't lack talking, like everybody talks. Um, we lack listeners, we lack, because once you put a man in a space where he feels like he will be heard, uh, he'll talk. And my experience has been that you won't shut him up actually. And they'll keep coming back. Um, so, so yeah, it, you know, those myths, they are myths. And actually what we need to talk more about is how we create more spaces that are appropriate, that are outside of a sports stadium, that are not about meeting at the pub and getting drunk, or probably the only other place is a funeral where men come together. So, so Uncommon Man, we, we serve non-alcoholic beer, but there's no alcohol there. Um, and it's built around that space. And, you know, I've seen some incredible things at these sessions
0: yeah it's on my list of uh, things to chat to you about actually because I've followed you on social media for a while and um you've been on my to invite on list for a long time and I I if I'm being very very honest the reason it took me so long to ask you is because a lot of your a lot of your posts you could be writing them about me like if there's an avatar for your uh the typical person you work with it would be me and I thought if I get him on he might say I might have to go and do a bit of extra work that i'm not expecting um but it was uh, it was one of the videos from one of your um, uncommon man sessions that made me think oh i need to talk to josh and it was the one where you were doing some breath work and then mm-hmm. you counted them in and you got that release out of the room where everyone was shouting and i watched that and it like it made it stirred something in me and if i'm being quite honest josh i thought i don't know if i could do that and I certainly don't know l- the last time I just kind of like that primal roar of release. And I'm in you mentioned the football, because I think a lot of people would say they couldn't do that, but they can go to the football and release that, that stuff, you know, because we're so repressed going through life. But, um, yeah, so I really wanted to, to chat about that part of the Uncommon Man session. Is that like a is that a finishing move in your uh, in your groups or how does that that bit come about?
1: Yeah, so it is, I mean, it is the finishing move. The The, the sessions, the Uncommon Man sessions are two hours. So uh, the first hour, what we basically do is we set up just a little bit of a moment where men pair off and one listens and one, the other one uh, gets to share something. And those, those little moments are built around listening. So it's not about talking. You don't have to say anything if you don't want to, but we practice just providing space, you know, man to man in that way. And then when we finish with the breath work, uh, you would be able to do it what most people's feedback is when they come actually is I wouldn't have come if I knew we was doing this.
0: That's, but, that's what I would say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But, um, but now I've been, I'm going to bring all my friends. Uh, that's what I genuinely what I say. When you do the breathing pattern that we do. Um, uh, the only way I can describe it. And I'll just say it as clearly as it, as it is, is by the end of it, you are off your face. <laughs> so you don't know where you are. I mean, like you are, you, you really, these people are really, everybody that's there is in a different planet. And then when you scream, when we first did it, um, I was like, I'd done it online. So I knew that people would do it if they were in their home safe, yeah. Uh, I just thought, I don't know if these men are gonna scream. Yeah, when I say it. And so I counted down from three and I said, I'll scream with you thinking that I'll scream really loud and it will drown everybody out and they'll feel a bit comfortable to let a bit of a scream out. And they screamed and they screamed for about a minute and a half, which is a long time. Um, and it wasn't quite, I mean, I, like I screamed as long and as hard as I could, but because they had been doing the breathing pattern, they're full of oxygen. And so they, they just let out this almighty scream. And then there's a big emotional release. I would say 90% of the men that do it like cry, um, as a result. And it's just a big emotional release. And every single time that we do it, everybody has a massive emotional release. Um, and I just feel like we don't do enough of it. We don't do enough of a releasing our emotions and letting them out and letting that scream out. And what happens is, is people do that. And then we we come back into the round and everybody shares a word or two about how they're feeling. And people just talk about love and uh, like feeling free and all these kind of things, but just from breathing, you know. And I, th- I the thing about breath work is, is, is accessible to anyone that wants to try it
0: yeah do you think um that kind of that repression of emotion that's societal josh because kids do it right so i watch my kids my kids are quite small i've got a five-year-old and a four-year-old and um so yeah and they'll just go from like being happy as larry to kind of letting all that stuff out and then completely back into the moment again so it seems like it's it should be a very natural human thing but somewhere along the lines we stop we forget how to do it and then it is stuff like booze or the football match or whatever that allows that to come out is that societal do you think
1: yes i don't think people forget i think we teach children not to be emotional so we you know we teach people that to be strong and to be brave is to not show emotion like i example like my dad's funeral i lost my dad when i was nine years old i remember adults telling me to be brave right what they meant was when they said be brave was I don't think i could deal with the emotion that i know that you need to express so i'm going to tell you to be brave you'll hold the emotion in and i get to feel more comfortable right so it comes from a place of fear they're they're scared of the emotions and i think most people grow up at least in britain and i would probably argue in western culture in general most people grow up um without a parent who knows how to express their emotions in a in a safe and healthy way Um, And so they don't know how to be themselves in their emotions either. Uh, And I think that then gets passed on through
0: generations, you know? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think as well as not being able to to release these things and to feel these things, I think that it's also hard to talk about and because we're not feeling and we don't know the words. And I know that something I experienced in therapy is when I was asked to explain, you know, or the, it's quite, a, a, you know, it happens in therapy a lot, doesn't it? You know, what, what are you feeling? Where are you feeling it? What color is it? And I didn't know I'd been, and I'm still learning now, but I've been supp- uh, suppressing stuff for so long. I had no idea. I didn't know mm. what feelings were, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah. And and actually, if you look at like what go back to what you just said about children and the way in which they express their emotions, they don't necessarily always express them with words. So a child, when they're excited, you can see they'll be overly excited. The arms will go everywhere. They're happy when they're sad. The arms will come down. They'll stomp. They'll use their face. Right. So they they express their emotions. And I think one thing that I found and I found this to be true, particularly for men, but I think it might be true for people in general is that we're very good at talking and rationalizing ourselves around the emotion so we don't have to feel it. So if you say to me, how did you feel? I can say, well, I felt sad and I didn't feel very good about it and I was unhappy and it made me feel down. But I can say all of those things without ever actually experiencing the emotion. Yeah. So to experience the emotion is different. And that's why I love breathwork and why I believe breathwork can be so instrumental is because I'll talk my way out of anything. And I can sit, by the way, one-to-one with somebody and talk about all the deep emotional stuff without ever feeling a single emotion. And I can do it and I can please the person that's listening to me, but I'll never feel it. The breath work for me goes beyond the rational part of the brain and takes me straight to the emotion.
0: Yeah, sure, yeah. Is there um, a particular method that you use or is there so when it comes to breath work is there anyone that you follow or any you know a good starting point for that sort of stuff
1: the, the, the guy that I trained with is a guy from America called John Paul I like so I would obviously point people straight to him he's the one that taught me about the scream he's the one that taught me the breathing pattern that we use at Uncommon Man which is all through the breath uh sorry all through the mouth so you breathe all in through the mouth and out through the mouth there's no nasal breathing in it um, but what I would say is it it's much like uh, the mental health stuff that we started off by talking about. There is a million and one different ways to try breath work. Try my breath work, right? You might like it, you might not. Try another breath work. There'll be one guy who's telling you you should never ever do it through the mouth and it should all be through the nose, and he thinks everybody that says it's through the mouth is wrong, right? There'll be another guy who tells you you should do both. And go on if you go online, if you go on YouTube and you put in breath work, Wim Hof's another guy, right? I think he's brilliant try them all and see what works for you but stick with it you have to stick with it a little bit because i tried breath work for the first time a little while ago and i hated it i like people used to say do you ever do breath work and i used to say no it makes me dizzy but i'd never pushed through and tried it in the way that um i've tried it now so yeah like keep trying you know until you find
0: what works and because it can be really uncomfortable as well can it when all of a sudden you kind of get that glimpse into you know what's underneath what you've been keeping underneath And it can be quite scary, I think, if you're not used to these feelings when something comes up. And, you know, I suppose what you do with creating that safe space and with that focus on listening as well, because I think that's really, really important. I think a lot of people speak because they're scared of being listened to or they're not of not being listened to. But yeah, Yeah. when you start to experience these things, it's important, isn't it, to have almost something in place to catch you or to catch them as well, because when things start to arise.
1: the the safety aspect is really important. And one of the things that I like say to people within the groups, whenever I do breath work is I outlay everything at the beginning that might happen. And I say, if you're not ready for this, don't do it. Like this isn't, you know, this isn't uh, a competition. I don't want anybody to feel like they're, you know they're not doing it good enough or they're not good enough if they don't try it. Um, Don't do it until you're ready, right? Um, And what I find is, is that most people stick around but the space is vital, particularly when it's in person.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, like I just touched on them, but listening as well, isn't it? I think that's a, that's a skill in itself, you know, and uh, so many people, they're scared of the mental health conversation because they say, Oh, if someone says something, I don't know what to do, but if you're listening then you don't have to do anything, right. Just, just sometimes just being there to, just to kind of, just to be there is enough. And and
1: we seem to have, Sometimes the mental health conversation actually can make that even worse, right? Because we, at the beginning, I remember when I first started doing this work like four or five years ago, full time, a lot of people in the space that I was operating in were trying to make everybody unqualified to listen. So like it it was creating that fear in people, like I'm not qualified to do this. The moment somebody said, I, I you know, I'm feeling really, really down, people would think oh, like, there's nothing I can do and we need to find you somebody like, and in some cases, of course, like, getting signposted is 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 needed but we all have the ability to listen and listening is an art and I actually think a lot of people don't talk about how they feel because people normally will jump to trying to fix you and when I'm struggling with how I'm feeling I don't want you to fix me I want you to like hold my hand and make me feel safe in that space you know and anybody can do that and it's actually listening is the best way to learn about yourself because to really listen to somebody you have to stay in your body you have to recognize when you're kind of triggered and when you want to maneuver them around certain emotions and so it's not it's not easy um but everybody is everybody i believe has the ability to do it if they want to
0: yeah yeah definitely and you you, i suppose you mentioned there um the feeling the things how your response to someone else talking and yeah we can learn so much about ourselves by that as well and i suppose it comes back to your awareness doesn't it if you know tuning in like why is what this person is saying making me feel like this and what do i need to do about it if anything Ex- exactly
1: exactly exactly and that's why there's so much learning about the self in listening because when you find the space to listen to other people what you realize is how hard it is right and how hard you have to work to regulate yourself to be able to be with them in their emotions and that kind of comes back to how i think we are conditioned when we're younger to get away from our emotions is because nobody listens so uh, kids receive the same treatment which yeah. is, you'll be fine everything's fine like we think that when somebody's struggling with how they're feeling we think that our responsibility is to make them feel better but it's not like our responsibility should be to help them be better at feeling right why am I experiencing this how do I try and regulate myself through this how do I stay in my body without feeling like I need to leave my body like you know, when I say leave my body, I'm not sort of being overly spiritual there. I'm on about how do I find a way to not have to escape and to, to stay feeling safe in spite of what I'm feeling? And I think that's what most people struggle with uh, because nobody ever teaches you because nobody, none of the adults in our culture know how to.
0: Yeah, sure, yeah. And I, I think like, I suppose why it gets really complicated later on and why people really start to lose their, their sense of of who they are, which seems to be massive in a lot of these conversations I have with people a lot of these stories, when people are living really inauthentically and they kind of lose their way in respect to, to living, you know, an authentic lifestyle, it gets really, really complicated. But when we start pushing down our, our emotions and our feelings, we, sometimes when you push one thing down, it takes a little bit of something else, right? So we can't just take one thing and just bury it and then kind of get to have all the other stuff. And that's where it gets confusing, isn't it? The blur between what an emotion actually means and, and what it's trying to tell us to, to act on
1: yeah exactly like emotions are signals and that's why when i do any kind of work with young children in schools like i teach them straight off the bat there's no positive and negative emotions right there's just signals there's just like uh um, the emotions trying to point us in the direction of where it wants us to go but the thing is is that what you start to realize is that you can't you can't pick and choose what emotions you don't feel the moment you shut yourself off from your emotions you shut yourself off from all of them so if you shut yourself off from difficult emotions you'll shut yourself off from feelings like joy and stuff like that as well right and then so what what a lot of people experience is a sense of feeling like they're numb right they know how to act like they're feeling good about certain things but they're not actually experiencing it fully you
0: know yeah definitely and that's kind of like to for some people that's kind of what depression is right it's when you don't feel anything so people think when you're depressed you just feel like horrendously sad and there is that but often with depression people don't feel anything at all there's like, it's like an absence of feeling
1: yeah and i always say that my depression that i was diagnosed with when i was like in my late teens and early 20s was exactly that depressed emotions that i pushed down into my body because they were too painful for me to experience right and then so i started experiencing uh feelings as a result of that feelings for me like sleeping too much and uh fits of rage and using alcohol and drugs to try and like deal with all of that pent-up depressed emotion that i pushed down into my body because i hadn't been able to fully comprehend or experience it in my life growing up
0: so is that why um you mentioned that when you became sober that that's when like the real challenge kind of started is that why josh because without the the drink and the drugs you then had to deal with all the stuff
1: exactly like when i quit drinking i thought my problem was alcohol and drugs right um what i found is is that when i quit drinking them i was left with the problem which was me and everything that I was experiencing inside. And so what I recognized from that is that alcohol and drugs weren't my problem. They were an attempt at a solution, right? They were a way at dealing with all those depressed emotions. So when I took that away, what I was left with was all those depressed emotions. And so what I had to do and what I've had to do over the last 10 years is find ways to be able to deal with those feelings in a much more healthy way. And and the truth is, is that I haven't always found healthy ways to do it. You know, I, I get caught up in behaviors and Food food is uh one of my ways of trying to escape how I'm feeling so I mean I find all different new spangly ways away from alcohol to do it but but ultimately in between that what I do is I look for things like breath work and, and other different modalities that have been really useful for me to be able to deal with my emotions you know
0: yeah I suppose that's the journey isn't it It's just constantly self-correcting you know every time we drift away from from where we need to be it's just being able to to drift back in and, and uh, make that make that happen yeah
1: exactly it's that awareness thing again, right? what am I doing here? Why am I doing this? And what's really going on? Um, And then sometimes you can get caught up in over self-evaluating and that's your way of escaping. How you feel is just trying to evaluate everything. Right. So you're caught, you're in this cycle all of the time.
0: (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I really relate to that. Um, I'm teetotal myself and in July, it will be six years for me since I've had a, had a drink. And um, I had a very, very similar situation. I gave up drinking because I didn't like the person that drink turned me into. Mm but it was when I gave up drinking, that's when the real problem started you know because i i took away a coping mechanism that i'd used for like well over a decade and without booze i didn't really know who i was you know Mm. i didn't have the i didn't have the the power to be the loud person and i didn't have the excuse for the bad behavior because it's handy being a drinker isn't it because anything you can do anything anytime you wrong someone or yourself you can just say that was the booze it It was the booze you know and so yeah it it was very similar situation for me as soon as i stopped drinking then the real work began
1: Yeah, and that was probably like one of the really hard things, right? Because you stop drinking and then you think, and then what I realised is that within the first, particularly in the first year, I was still doing things that I was doing when I was drinking, but that I would blame on the drink, right? And then I was like, actually, maybe some of this is me. Maybe I'm not as good a person as I've been convincing myself that I am, right? And take away alcohol, these behaviours are still there. And like you say, then the work, the work really begins because then i have to try and find ways to deal with that you know
0: yeah definitely and, and i think that's really important to talk about because there's a lot of um it's quite big on instagram to have there's a lot of sober accounts you know mm. and and it's great it's great that people are talking about these things but they are incredibly positive and that wasn't my experience you know it's still not my experience of trying to trying to be sober but there's a lot of things that it will make your life better in all these myriad of ways and for me, it did make my life better, but not how I expected. Yeah, and yeah. When I say to people, like, I haven't had a drink for six years, people will go, that's amazing. I say, yeah, well, it took me two years to stop. You know, yeah. It took me two years of like thinking I'd be all right, just having one and not being all right. So, you know, that I think that's the bit that's interesting to talk about, because when you're in that, you don't want to hear about the guy doing well. You don't want to hear about how peachy life's going to be because it makes you feel rubbish. It makes, I when I would see stuff like that, I think, well, that's just me. I can't do that. So I must be worthless. And that kind of added to what was going on with me. Yeah. But then, you know, I hear people like you talk and you go, oh, hang on a minute. This is quite normal. Like this is what I'm doing is hard and um, i need to keep going you know because yeah because josh Connolly says it's hard and he's keeping <laughs> going you know but there is that type of thing isn't there
1: it is important it's really important because i like you i love the sober community out there it didn't exist when i got sober right it just wasn't there not really not online so i think it's great and i and i understand what they're trying to do right like on online they're trying to show people that life can be amazing without alcohol right but my truth is is that my first nine months about it were probably the worst nine months of my whole life. If I'm honest, like way worse. And I see things, you know, that where people say, what's the saying? My, my worst day sober is still better than my best day drinking. And I read that and think, oh, I wish that was true. <laughs> like I wish that was like, I've had some horrendous days sober, like, and I, and, I, and I had some pretty good days drunk as well. And if I compare my bad days when I'm sober to my good days drunk, I'm not like those people. If that statement's true for some people, that entry for me. um, And and nor is my life getting better just because I stopped drinking. uh, That's not true for me. And so I think it's important to say that. Look, I did it when I first got sober. I went to 12-step fellowships, as I said at the beginning. And so what I did when I first got sober is like as horrible as it was, I was saying to everybody, life's amazing. I got my kids back. I just love it. Like I love being sober. And I was lying through my teeth because I thought that's what people did and said when they got sober and inside I was dying, literally dying. Yeah. Um, And, and that's why I'm quite passionate. If I look at myself, I don't actually, I'm starting to talk more about it, but I didn't actually used to talk much about my sobriety online because I, um, I felt like I didn't fit in, which is weird. Right. I'm, I'm, I'll be 10 years sober in May. And I, for the last few years online, I had a little bit of a feeling that I didn't resonate with the sober community. Um, and I think I'm kind of working out. It's because I don't want to be a party pooper. <laughs> There's a bit of me that doesn't want to... Because I'm like, people ask me about my sobriety, and I'm like, look, I'm, I'm 10 years sober, and I don't know anyone that I got sober with. And the truth is, I know a lot of people that are, are dead that I got sober with, right? And the reality is, is people don't make it. People don't really make it six years, right? You know that probably, yeah. Yeah. yeah, they don't. People don't really make it past two or three years at best, normally, like, like generally. I don't know what the percentage is, but I, I hear it's something like 5%. Yeah. So like, and it's hard. It's hard, it's like sobriety is hard, hard work. Like you say, for me, especially in the first two years. But my life, my life really changed when I got honest. My life always changes when I, not when I say, yeah, life's amazing and I'm smashing it. My life changes when I come out and say, you know what, I am really struggling to deal with what's going on here. And that's true today at 10 years sober, as true as it was when I was one month sober. You know what I mean? Like, Mm. And that's why that level of honesty is important for me.
0: Yeah, definitely, that that vulnerability. And um, there's something really human in it and really connecting in it you know, I struggled with my mental health for a long time, and I didn't say anything to anyone. And I thought all the stereotypical stigma related things, if I talk about what's going on with me, if I talk about these thoughts in my head, then my wife will leave me, they'll take my kids off me, you know, and I I kept all this stuff in. And, you know, as soon as I started talking about it, well, everything changed, I thought it would push people away. And all it did was bring people in, you know, and some of them, Aren't maybe the people I expected <laughs> to be brought in, but I'm so glad that they came along, you know. And and it does, it just changes changes the game, you know. It really, really does.
1: It becomes like you then create authentic connection, you know. Because I like I remember the first time I ever came out after that experience with my children, and I said to everybody, I hate sobriety, I hate it, I hate, I hate happy people, I hate you, I don't want to be here, I'd rather be drinking. That was the like I thought by saying that everybody around me would hate me yeah uh people in the sober community would hate me and what i found is is that more people than ever came up to me and were like i really relate to what you said and then all of a sudden i was like this is where this is where we need to be because the 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 reality is is that connection the answer solution whatever you want to call it exists in the truth and if i'm just running around telling people i'm happy because i'm worried that if i tell them i'm sad then they'll leave me which is what i do yeah then I'm always going to be alone and I'm never going to get the help and support that I need and deserve.
0: Yeah, yeah, very much so. I suppose that ties in nicely to something else that I wanted to ask you about, is a post that you put up yesterday, actually, about people-pleasing. And that's, you know, I'm a kind of... I just describe it as a people pleaser in reform you know that was uh mm-hmm. all the all the things that I have kind of worked through over the last few years and now I'm at the stage where I've kind of realized that there's an element of that to it but now I'm kind of aware and I see it so much and I see it in other people as well and I can tell when I'm doing it but is that is that something you found in yourself or is it more in the people that you work with Josh?
1: Oh myself yeah I, I I'll I'll join you on the People pleaser in reform bench and tell you that on any given day, I probably couldn't say the reform bit either, if I'm honest with you. Uh, I recognize it in myself. You know, I built a whole personality and persona around that people pleasing stuff and being likable and getting people to like me. And so I find it really hard. I find it particularly hard in my relationships, my meaningful relationships is probably where I find it most hard. Yeah. To be able to communicate how I'm actually feeling and what's acceptable to me because I, want the people that I'm seeking attachment from to like me and to love me and I worry that if I speak my truth they won't right particularly if I speak my truth and and they don't like it then I'm terrified of that right I'm terrified of that when all the evidence to the contrary is often true right if I think of like if I look at my wife for example she will tell me things that I you know if I do something that makes her feel uncomfortable or she doesn't like she'll tell me and sometimes I'll disagree and think well actually that's okay if I can do that right but I don't love her any less or i don't she doesn't love me any less but if she does something that you know similar and makes me feel like i don't say anything because i'm terrified if i do she won't love me so i keep it to myself and then if you're not careful you're left feeling misunderstood and it's not that you're misunderstood because they they misunderstand what you're showing them you're misunderstood because you don't show them
0: <laughs> because
1: yeah. you're you're terrified of what will happen if you do right so it's lonely it can be lonely so you know, that reform bit that you talk about for me is finding ways to be honest about that, to bring it to the table and say, let me risk, let me risk you disagreeing with me to show you what I'm really feeling, you know, and that's not easy.
0: No, not at all. I suppose a lot of these things we're talking about, they keep coming back to a very similar place of um, like not having needs met, right? And anytime you feel that you're stuck in a place where you're not having those needs met, then we're going to have problems and those problems could well affect your, your mental health and your mental state. And that's something you talk about as well. A lot, Josh, is, is realizing that you're not having your needs met and, and why, and, and who we expect to meet them and how we, how we get them met again. Is that something that comes up a lot in your work?
1: Yeah. And look, I think a lot of what we call sort of mental health problems, I think a lot of it is, I can be traced back to that stuff for me. It's an inability for me to be able to communicate in the ways that I feel and ultimately to be able to get my needs met. And so, what I end up doing is pushing down my emotions and not expressing how I feel, not getting my needs met, you know. And um so, I see it all the time. I see it in the people that I work with. I see it, you know, if I go into a corporate environment, I see it in people, the, your everyday person, you know, and, and then I see it to a large degree in myself as well.
0: Mm yeah definitely have you heard about that um the rat park experiment where they had the two different types of rats have you heard about that and they had the ideal conditions for one group and the unideal for the other and the the ones that were living in a a not great environment they all ended up strung out on the the opiate water in the um in the cages but that's a that's a really you know handy metaphor isn't it for um you know for, for modern life because i think modern life keeps us from getting our needs met and then you end up in a position where you don't even know what your needs are (laughs)
1: so (laughs) exactly yeah 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 and 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 that's built around you know the rap part thing points to as well it's built around connection and that's why you like group spaces are so important for me because when i feel connected to somebody in my struggle it starts to feel less like a struggle right and then i feel more confident to be able to explore and find out why i'm struggling and what i need to do And that's why I think group spaces can be so important. I mean, I don't want to be too controversial or go on too much of a tangent, but I think we all have the ability to be able to come together, connect and find what we need and create healing in our own lives. Um, But it doesn't serve many people in a capitalist society to to let us all know that we have the power in our own hands, right? Um, And I guess that in a way, that's one of the unfortunate things is that we want to create all of the modalities that we talked about at the beginning. Yeah. Um, and in the end, they kind of all end up getting caught up in the in the system in which makes us feel like we're not good enough anyway. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, so very much so. Yeah, yeah
0: definitely. And that, I that ties in with, with resilience as well and different people's. Because some people can kind of... I don't even know if resilience is the word I want to use. I once in a therapy session said, well, like, how can some people do this and I can't, right? So how some pe- people, what I would call, just plug into the matrix and just go through it and not feel the things that I feel and not think about the things that I think about. And the therapist I was working with at the time, he said to me, well, there is a certain level of ignorance, you know, mm-hmm. and some people are just able to just kind of like go through on that one level. And that's fine, man. That's cool. If they, you know, if that's for them, that's great. And then some people just aren't. And when you're not, for me that that was the struggle and finding that connection you were talking about you know that's um there is just just some people seem I don't know almost almost built differently in in that way I
1: I believe it to be true you know I, I think like one of my greatest gifts is my ability to think deeply about things and I think one of my greatest enemies is my ability to think deeply about things right I think that's true I look at like I use my older brother as a great example sometimes I say to him you know do you remember this and how do how do you feel about this now that you're an adult? And he says, and I and I genuinely don't think he's in denial or anything like that. He just goes, I've never really thought of it about thought of it like that. Do you know what I mean? And I think, oh, like, do you know how hard I have to work just to get to a place where I don't think about something? Like, do you know what I mean? So I think, look, we are all wired differently, differently, and some of us have to work harder. It's, I use a football analogy. You know, Lionel Messi is seems to be absolutely amazing at what he is pretty naturally whereas cristiano ronaldo you could argue he's got a bet to a better level than him and i won't i won't have that debate now but his seems more on the surface i'm sure this is not actually doesn't play out to be as true but he's had to work he's worked really really hard to become that you know so it's possible for anyone some of us might have had a head start in certain ways
0: yeah, and I suppose we don't get a choice when we have to start that journey, right? Sometimes that decision is made is made for us. Exactly, yeah. yeah, so true. Oh, mate, well, that seems like a lovely point to wrap it up. Josh, I've enjoyed that immensely. There was so many things I could talk to you about and I think each one of them could have been an individual hour-long podcast on its own, but I think we did a great job at kind of weaving through them and I can't thank you enough for your time today. Mate.
1: Thanks, Tom, yeah, I appreciate it. Uh, I've really enjoyed it, actually. It's been a really good conversation, so thank you.
0: Oh, sick. thank you very much. for listening from the proper mental podcast please like and subscribe